Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. Today is April the 25th, 2007 at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and AlanWattSentinel.eu And by does the time fly, eh? It's flying away when you're having fun and even when you're not having fun. So many things happening which in a sense distract us from the very big picture that's always going around or it's going on around us I should say but so many incidences of the data which fill up our lives and I used to think about this when I was pretty young all the data incredible amounts of data that my parents absorbed too from newspapers and television and radio interspersed with all the fads that they were given to pick up and run with which is marketed to them really by the same media that gives you what is supposed to be relevant information I can remember when the hula hoop became fashionable for my parents' age group. And I was really small at the time, and I'm watching them buying these plastic tubes, really. That's all they were, is cheap plastic tubing with a little wooden dowel in them to keep the ends together. And it was marketed via the media that was going all out for the pop and the rock revolution to make things trendy roller skates became trendy again and hula hoops and you watch your parents and everybody else's parents waddling these rings around their, their waists trying to keep them up and laughing and I thought well that's a strange a strange way of happiness I used to run off into the forest and climb trees and things and fall out of them and, and that seemed more natural to me you didn't have to buy anything to do it but that was the same age as they were they were targeting the age groups as they always do every generation gets targeted by the marketers and remember Bertrand Russell talked about the necessity of bringing in the big marketing or, uh, organizations to be of use to condition the mindsets of the whole world towards a particular controlled agenda and sure enough they went at it right away I don't think he invented the idea it was on the go before he came along I'm sure but it certainly was more sophisticated in his day uh, with the advent of radio television uh, and so on and they marketed the twist the silly dance called the twist by making it a, a hit record do the twist again with chubby checkers I think it was and I watched all these parents go wild doing these silly dances and, uh, and I knew then that it wasn't really normal uh, what struck me is why they'd adopt what they saw being done on television and yet that is exactly the technique, it's so simple it's been used since before the days of Plato but Plato certainly wrote about it that the public who witness entertainment mimic what they see they mimic, they copy what they see simple technique especially when it's made 
is presented in a, almost a circus-type fashion. Uh, the hype, the almost a happy hysteria presentation. Um, the same technique works, of course, in big rock bands. You don't see so much anymore, but you'd see crowds go wild with hysteria as the bands would sing. In fact, often you couldn't hear them singing at all. You couldn't make the words out. You just heard the the feedback from the from the, the cranked up amps and and the screaming of the crowds. So a circus type atmosphere that, that creates a type of hysteria is very is very good for promoting particular suggestions into people. And sure enough, as I say, Charlotte the Hula Hoop fad was over when they'd bought their second or third one because they all broke the cheap plastic it would sort of bend and get a little kink in it and you couldn't get it out and they all ended up in the dump until they gave you the next fad and the next fad and sh- and then they brought out even hipsters for, for men hipster pants were pants that literally sat on your hips, now men don't have much of a hip so it wasn't the best thing to buy because it was they tend to sort of drop your pants rather quickly when you least had expected it, so that didn't last too long. And then, then they had the, the, the bell-bottom pants with the best name brands. That was a big thing too, the, the beginning of the name brands to, with the big patches advertising them, who, they, who made them. That became the snob appeal, you see. And ever since then, we've been on a roll from one thing to the next because the fashion industry works as Plato said in conjunction with the drama and the music industry always has it's all part of culture creation in the Victorian and the Edwardian days because it was still important to keep family units together since most of them were workers and bringing up the next generation of workers and uh, soldiers for the British Empire and all everybody else's empire, depends what country you're in, they promoted uh, basically um, the family unit. Uh, that was very important. They didn't push promiscuity at all. In fact, they, they, they came down on it and condemned it. And uh, they made sure that women wore long dresses and behaved in a certain fashion uh, and then, then of course when the family unit was to be destroyed because the system was moving on to the next post-industrial era then they decided to take down the family and most of the skirt disappeared for a while when they brought in the miniskirt and um, we've been on a roll since so fashion is, is a very important part of culture creation, as is music and drama. Each age group tends to think that all of the things that, that are there in their lifetime and develop in their lifetime are spontaneous. That's what you're taught to think. But nothing is so further from the truth. Everything is planned like a huge business plan way in advance with um, experts 
And it was done so with think tanks in the 1800s, just as much as today. They looked ahead to the future. They had uh, whole think tanks of economists, uh, economists working for the big corporations based in London. And part of their whole investment procedure was to look at the society that would develop and that they wanted to develop over the next hundred or more years. That has never changed. We tend to think that, listen by to the media, that we're just stumbling through time and parliaments and politicians just deal with issues as they arrive at them and uh, debate them and come up with the solutions and nothing is further from the truth nothing is further from the truth when big changes occur you always have a form of chaos the spin-offs the side effects of a dysfunctional society as they try to mimic the previous generation's society which no longer works it no longer works because those who control the system have indoctrinated both male and female to be antagonistic towards each other. It's taught in school that way too. They separated, they started with the women first of all and worked on them. They promoted the female through all the television ads and the beer commercials and all the comedies and all the rest of it is, is um, some kind of sex object selling beer with a tiny miniskirt, luscious body and she's not really a person she's just something a guy wants they depersonalized the female in the mind of the male in the mind of the female the guy is just a a low kind of beast who wants sex and booze and sport that's the system that's been developed however, even that be so everyone is looking for a partner or a mate and they're trying to emulate previous generations and it's completely dysfunctional it doesn't work because of the indoctrinations and the use of terminology which further reinforces the disruptions that's part of psycholinguistics We also see all the school shootings that have been going on. It's becoming almost a fad. And always a couple of years later, they come out with more details. They wait for a couple of years before the unwashed masses get more of the truth. Because there's always a benefit to government's agendas with these shootings. Part of it is more control. Oh, see, you live in an unsafe society. In fact, you yourself cannot be trusted. You might go berserk. You need to be monitored, watched, tested. And remember that President Bush wants every American eventually to be tested psychologically by the experts, you see. He will come up with all kinds of theories to fit you into. And if he can't fit you into one, they'll make a new theory just for you. Now, I've been looking at a few of the the science websites to do with the shooting it's interesting the way they phrase things because this is a standard way the one I'm about to read but how, how they phrase things and put little 
they condense it down into a, a sort of tin of soup, condensed soup fashion, and they take all the all the bulk out of it, knowing that most people, most lay people, read just the the overview, that's minus all the relevant details, and that's how you, you're left with an impression in your mind. This one is from physorg.com. And this states here, this is from April 22nd, 2007. Scientists look to disrupt the brain chemistry of violence. Now, before I start, I'll give you my little preamble. Psychiatry is a new supposed science. It's been on the go, really, for a hundred years and any form of pretense of a science the tremendously good in psychiatry at diagnosing put you into a category of illness they can describe symptoms and signs of and symptoms of a particular type of illness and all they are are categories to familiarize each other with a vocabulary by the use of a vocabulary so they can say, well, this is schizophrenia, this is uh, manic depression, I call it bipolar disorder, and so on. Uh, these are what they call psychotic illnesses. Psychotic illnesses differ from neurotic illnesses in that the psychotic behaves oddly but doesn't know that they're doing it. They think they're fine. They have no insight into themselves and how they're behaving a neurotic tends to know there's something wrong with them but they don't know what it is that's the big split there between the two categories and psychiatry has looked from its, since its beginning for self-importance to build it into a science to make it credible they put more propaganda out there than, than most sciences. All sciences do put tremendous propaganda out to, to basically get credence from the public. They want to be raised above the public into a profession, a professional science. So they give lots of propaganda and very high-sounding uh, phrases out and terms to the public to impress you. And also to make you feel very silly and, and, and uh, profane, basically, by the terms and terminology they use. That's the first thing you do in a science is create your own vocabulary. So you make it an in thing for, for those who are part of your degreed group. Because everything in this world is based on a Masonic system. That's why you get a degree in school. And since the beginning of psychiatry, they come up with all these theories of how to predict things and how to prevent things and this idea of, of getting more and more power over the people is not new, they've been at this since its beginning in fact, at the beginning of the psychiatric era um, psychiatry has been a, a right arm of the eugenics movement the top psychiatrists, the, the first psychiatrists were generally members of the World uh, Eugenic Society. 
And here it says here, scientists look to disrupt the brain chemistry of violence. Uh, with the usual PR, strides in understanding human brain chemistry and genetics are giving scientists hope. They may be able to diffuse violent behavior to avoid tragedies like last week's university massacre in Virginia, neurologists say. The shooter, a 23-year-old South Korean, which is 32 backwards, by the way, for Masons, who had lived in the United States since he was a child, killed 32 people before committing suicide in the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history. There is no doubt in my mind that if we could have examined his brain, the killer at Virginia Tech, we would have found anomalies, and we would have been able to suggest for him to get therapies said Dr. Alan Siegel, a neurologist and researcher at the University of Medicine of New Jersey. Uh, That's your typical statement from these guys who want more power over the public because they've been cutting brains apart for a long, long time, coming up with all kinds of theories and, and my goodness, is that a little lesion there? And and in 10,000 of them will debate it and come up with 10,000 different reasons and and, uh, disagreements. But they keep pulling the same thing out the bag, the same rabbits out the bag, because they want power over the people to be able to create this world where everyone is studied and given the clearance stamp. You'll, you'll be approved to get into the workforce, as the agenda stated a long time ago. You do your stamp of approval. And isn't it interesting that, that the big thing that came out in the 50s, really, primarily, from Hollywood once again, was suddenly every star, every star in Hollywood suddenly had a therapist. It was the end thing. Everybody had to have a personal therapist. They'd talk things over with. Before, it was your rabbi or your priest or whoever, and now it suddenly became your therapist, a professional. And if you really want to know the story of the professionals, you should listen to Woody Allen and all his stories about them because he was addicted to them for years until he really understood that they were no better off than he was as far as a healthy mind went, wherever that is. And therapist is the rapist. The rapist. Think about it. What is someone who rapes your mind? A A therapist the rapist a neurologist and researcher at the University of Medicine New Jersey we might have been able to avoid this if he had been treated properly in the hospital setting Siegel told AFP which is again a big joke because to get treated properly you'd have to be really somehow uniquely diagnosed as being a potential berserker as this guy became and they don't have these sciences, we're told, yet. And goodness, God help us if they ever get the right to diagnose us into all these different categories when we're children. That's what they're after. And here they go with the usual PR. Clinical research as well as animal testing, particularly on cats, <laughs> oh, over some 40 years has shown that there are specific zones in the brain linked to aggression and violence, he said. Now, that is true. That is true. Every species has the same part in the brain that controls your ability for self-preservation. 
we have that built into us from a mouse to a human to an elephant everything has it but here's how they word it here as though this is something special they've found out we all have it that's why we're still here and alive today the species every species wants to survive an ability to put on aggression when required is a survival instinct you see it's a it's necessary and here they rehash all the old stuff they know the front region of the brain or the prefrontal cortex including the limbic system appears to play an important role in violent behavior according to neurologists and that's where as I say everything is located the limbic system is where all the all the amazing things you could be capable of and you might have in your dreams but don't do in reality occur the limbic system has your uh, that's where your, your sexual drives, everything, everything is located. And your fight-or-flight uh, syndrome uh, systems, everything for self-survival and self-preservation and perpetuation of the species is basically in that area. Then he goes on to say, The killer Charles Whitman, who gunned down 16 people at the University of Texas in the 1960s, was found to have a tumour in the temporal lobe in the region of the limbic system, he said. See, they're still looking for physical causes for all these things. The link between the prefrontal cortex and violence was first revealed in 1848 in the case of a railroad worker, and this is standard psychiatric textbook stuff, Phineas Gage. Phineas Gage was a railroad worker who, while he was knocking in some spikes, a stick of dynamite, it blew a spike right up through the bottom of his jaw, up through the top of his head. It was extracted, and he survived for a few years, but he became very base. And so they always bring up the same one, even though the ancient people who used to stab each other with spears and hit each other with axes knew the same thing thousands of years ago. Uh, but anyway, this is standard psychiatric, obviously, textbook. Phineas Gage was still was impaled by an iron rod and explosion, damaging the front part of his brain. Gage survived the accident, but his behavior radically changed, with his formerly respectful, sensitive manner replaced by an impulsive and aggressive personality. Medical cases since have linked violent tendencies to damage to the front part of the brain, Siegel said. Now, the opposite is also true. A lot of people have also had accidents to the frontal part, the frontal cortex of the brain, who haven't had this kind of odd violent nasty behavior occur so you see they can really mislead people by simple statements from experts not so much by telling you something but withholding other information a recent study shows children who suffer injury to the prefrontal cortex before age 7 developed abnormal behavior characterized by an inability to control their frustration anger and aggression according to an article in the, the journal Neuroscience. So there's no name to the, attach this little blurb, this little uh, paragraph here. That's how they get impressions over to you. It's, it's almost a filler part. A recent study shows children who suffer injury to the prefrontal cortex, doesn't say the study, before age 7, developed abnormal behavior characterized by an inability to control their frustration, anger, and aggression, according to an article in the journal Neuroscience. Neurologists believe the frontal region regulates and controls aggression and violent impulses. Same again, same again, same again. 
a brain imaging study of 41 murderers. Why 41, eh? Found evidence that in most cases the prefrontal cortex as well as some deeper brain areas, including the amygdala, functioned abnormally, researchers wrote in Neuroscience article. Now, you'd have to do a blind study, meaning you'd also have to do people with the same, who, who didn't become murderers, and compare them. That's how you do things, you see. You compare them all. I'd like to see some of the elite's brains. Would you, wouldn't you like to see some of that and see what's wrong with that? Maybe guys like Lord Bertrand Russell, or the Darwin family group. But they won't let us have access to that information. In the case of the Virginia Tech gunman, a medical investigation would also have to examine if he suffered a deficiency in his serotonin system, said Claus Mizek, a neuroscientist at Tufts University. That's the end thing today. That's the greatest theory now. We see to go from fad to fad. In the medical profession and the psychiatric profession, and even the herbal industry, it's the same thing. They go from one fad to the next fad to the next fad, and, and that's a fact if you check your history of these so-called professions uh, they're, they're tremendously addicted to fads and they have theories that last for a while and they're taught and you pass you and get your masters and you get your, you know, your degrees and stuff and, and then 10, 20 years later they change the theory and replace it with something else and that's now the gospel truth until the next gospel truth comes along and you have one fad after another and what's interesting too here they are with this careless blurb here doing, uh, trying to say that uh, it could be a deficiency in the serotonin system which as I say is the in theory right now you see, it's one of the in theories and you make a lot of money off these theories because scientists live on grants they're given lots of grants and so they have to come out with, with results for the, for the money they're spending to the guys that give them the money and they come out with all these theories and that's the big in thing right now and I notice in, in the comment section here uh, that someone does have a bit of the truth here. Someone replied to this talk, if I'm not mistaken, most, if not all, of the recent mass killers were on selective serotonin reuptake inhibiting medications. There's a known connection between these medications and violent behavior towards self and others. That's quite correct, you see. There's the other side from what someone has written in about this, but it's not a natural blurb itself. Uh, they're actually pushing uh, these drugs in the blurb which is natural because the last people who are going to accept anything um, where they're doing wrong will be the psychiatric profession who dish out all these drugs for the big companies uh, we know that for instance uh, Prozac and all the, the, the offshoots of Prozac now that it's got a bad name there are all these other Prozac types with different names they just change the molecules around a little bit call it something else and they've found that people who are on these are having violent outbursts and often blackouts and they can't remember it and then at the bottom of this article I must admit here's another, another bit of misleading information a number of drugs have proved effective in controlling violent impulses by compensating for serotonin deficiencies said Siegel Siegel is obviously well in uh, with all the drug companies that are pushing uh, uh, these serotonin type drugs, replacement drugs and it says citing Prozac and lithium also used to treat schizophrenia now lithium is traditionally been used for, for 
for manic depression, bipolar depression, not schizophrenia. But who's quibbling about details, eh? That's the kind of stuff they dish out to the public. And that's, what's le- and that's what leaves impressions within the public's minds. That kind of disinformation or parts of information. You can't get an informed opinion on something unless you have all the facts. And what we always get are selective facts which leave you with a false opinion, impression. That's how simply it's done. What is true is that even with the Columbine high school shootings, pretty well every one of them, in fact, they were known to the police beforehand. We know that they were seen or had been on drugs or were on drugs at the time from psychiatrists. We know they love to take pictures on video and put it on the internet with guns in their hands pointing at cameras. That's traditional with them. So all the police forces in in the countries know what they're up to. We know that uh, school uh, therapists, the rapists again, knew about all their their impulses and problems. And it's no surprise when they eventually do what they do. And who knows how they've been conditioned to be triggered to do what they do. We talk about mind control as existing only in certain movies, but no, the movies show us that mind control actually does exist. It's not a new science by any any means at all. These are very perfected sciences, in fact. It's interesting that when they want an agenda fulfilled, someone will go on a rampage and fulfill the agenda so that laws can be passed from governments. We saw it happen in Canada and it's happening in the United States and they're using the Sovietized system of collective punishment on populations. If one person commits a crime using a weapon of some kind then they ban it for everyone. That's basically how it works in the Sovietized system which we now have here. They just don't call it the Sovietized system They don't mention the communistic system. They use other terms for it so we don't connect it. But that's exactly what it is. If we use that kind of logic, which they might one day with cars, if one person uh, loses control of a vehicle, they could ban all vehicles. Same, Same logic, you see. You're all potentially guilty uh, before you actually commit a crime a pre-arrest type mentality this is, this is also where they're going they want the ability to predict what you're going to do next they want to know you so well that they'll know you better they'll be able to predict your movements what will you do next you want, they want you to be predictable because in a totally controlled system and I mean totally controlled system everyone must be predictable to the ruling authorities Now, before I go on to the next piece, I want to thank those people, and there's a few who have sent donations, and I'm going to try and get the time to get back to them. It's hard at the moment because 
I'm dealing with the new site, the setup of it for the European site and the various translators. There's a lot of work involved at the moment. And I'm way behind in mail and email too. And uh, as I say, I hope I will get round to it all. I do know who, who everyone is who writes to me. I know the few who have sent donations, I know who they are, and I thank you very much, because this really is keeping it going. There are expenses involved. Never mind the time. The time is where I'm really short off, because it's a lot of work to deal with uh, a a kind of a one-man band. When you're playing the drums between your knees uh, and a guitar in the front, and the symbols attached to your elbows you're keeping it all going and however I'll, I will keep it going as long as I can to get the information out for as long as I can and push it as far as I go and I, I will try and get back to those who've been kind enough to put forth a, a donation it's not that I forget or take it callously or carelessly. It's just that I'm overwhelmed with, with work right now. And I've got to start cutting wood shortly to get it all seasoned up for the next winter. That's the next big project to try and fit in between everything else. And I'll get it cut too before it's midsummer because midsummer is so warm. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy time for, for that kind of heavy, heavy work. Never mind the mosquitoes that love to get into you while you're sweating away there, cutting trees. I don't often get letters of complaint. Once in a while I do, maybe maybe a handful, maybe five maximum over the years. And you know who each one is. They use different names, but you can tell by the the complaints and their style, it's the same people. And I got this funny one the other day there. He's he's written to me a couple of times about Africa and how my views on Africa are all warped and how it's prospering and doing really well. And it's probably someone, obviously, who's getting a grant from the United Nations. And he he, he threatened me. He said, I reported you to the American Congress and the United Nations and I just want to tell them that that's fine because I've had congressmen send off my books and the United Nations got my books last year they sent for them and they paid for it too so they know all about me just let you know so you can go off and rant elsewhere (laughs) this last little while I've also been communicating with a woman who has for the last two or three weeks been helping put up all the sites after I put up the main ones she has them mirrored and I get to know everyone who is helping me get this information out you you get to know them pretty well because people who come forward to help are extraordinary 
to begin with they might not think so themselves but they are extraordinary they do come forth to give you time and put some effort and, and work into getting this information out because they believe and they know it's important that others know more of the reality that exists around them and within them what has shaped them themselves and they also want to prevent all the mishaps that we've lived through from occurring with subsequent generations it's time that this was stopped this manipulation, this mass manipulation and mass mind control so the woman who's been helping me with the, the sites has been taking care of her father who was ill for years with chronic skeletal problems and only a couple of weeks ago he was diagnosed ultimately with cancer sarcoma that was all through his body and she went through the whole process of seeing take to his bed doing all the daily hygiene the turning him every couple of hours and we were in frequent communication over the days as he died just the other day and she certainly did give him good care I know that and he died seemingly without tremendous pain it was hard work for her because turning someone every couple of hours and propping them up and so on and being on call in the same house to make sure that you gave the medications at the right time getting a couple of hours sleep at a time is very very trying so I commend her for what she did and it takes me to the next part of how we begin to appreciate life more by being involved in these in entrances and exits from life and not so long ago families took care of their own and everyone chipped in even the youngest would chip in this tended to bond them together and give them an appreciation for each other an appreciation which would override the impulses we have once in a while to get angry at each other because in the back of your mind death is real and it's only after people die that you have the wish and wish back if you have it all over again all the silly little things that you exchanged between each other at times had never happened certainly in the way that they happened we live in an, an age of nihilism an induced nihilism 
uh, part of the side effect of the breakup of the family unit which was essential for this next part of the new world order as Bush Sr. said and uh, no one complained that he was making out a conspiracy theory when he stated it on national television the family unit had to go obviously so people don't appreciate each other anymore life is cheap now it's become so cheap and very artificial so so remote from reality it's the, the dream of Plato when he talked about the beehives that would bring about the republic, the utopia of the elite because in a city type system which is all artificial from top to bottom you can alter the culture culture is plastic, it's fluid and you can alter it right is wrong, wrong is right it's whatever they say so at the time that becomes the norm and we have seen the devaluation of life go on for a long time till we're now selling body parts like pounds of flesh at a butcher shop and the fetuses go on sale and the spinal columns go on sale for $5,000 in good condition the dead are taken care of in hospitals before they die and all you have to do is visit them once in a while they're cleaned up, propped up, drugged and you leave them some flowers or some fruit they can't eat and walk out again at the end of the visiting hour then they're dead the undertaker takes care of things you don't have to deal with anything you just pop in to see old so-and-so all dressed up in the best suit in a casket for about an hour and then it's over it's all made so hygienic and sterile there's no care involved all we have is a, a sort of fuzzy recollection afterwards of what transpired whereas when you're involved with the person you go through milestones yourself milestones begin when you're born uh, from when you say dada or mama I guess dada's out the picture now in single parent families and that's one milestone and you go through different milestones as you grow up when when people die you tend to see yourself, a bit of yourself go with them and also as the gradual acceptance comes that life isn't so cheap after all that life itself is precious when you understand that life is precious then you stop treating each other quite so bitterly with petty jealousies and anger and conditioned responses to each other that siblings often have even years later they, they fall back into patterns of dominance and the attempt to, to dominate and the petty little things that occur yet personally if you take it personally the death of a person especially a parent you do reflect over your own life it brings 
mortality closer to you, you realize that uh, as you saw them, you are becoming. Children have a hard time, almost impossible time of imagining death for themselves personally. It's a remote thing that happens to others. That's how it is. Even getting old. And old, I can remember thinking someone at 30 was old or or even 20. Until you hit that age yourself and say, my goodness, what happened to the time? Then you look back and say, I don't want to remember all the things that happened during that time. (laughs) But these are the milestones we go through. People who die and who are dying change too when they know they're dying. We all have these personas we project outwardly. It's never the same as the one that the people who watch us and see us see. It's always different. Because we all have a little shield to protect us from being vulnerable. Because it certainly can be a cruel world out there too. Yet when someone knows they're dying, all the little things they used to be obsessed about disappear. The things that had to be in their place, in the right place, or put back and so on, disappear. They don't talk about those things that they own. It doesn't matter anymore. If anything, their thoughts are on things which influenced them, people who influenced them, their friends, some of whom they've never seen for many years, because that's what life's about. It's not what we have or what we accumulate. We can all accumulate, no matter what class level we live in. It's the people who affect us that come back to us in our minds at certain times. That's what's important. In fact, that's all that's important. Something we've lost. We're lost in, in it because we're brought up in a commercialized world where happiness is the next bar of soap as some nude woman scrubs herself in the bathtub on a television set or the, the next toothpaste or whatever it is they, they, they're pushing. And there's nothing further from the truth. Because some kindness at times and some opening up of true communication between person to person can embed itself in the mind or the minds of those who exchange thoughts and ideas. Not simply exchanging data that's been downloaded into them. Normal people have been blunted 
emotionally by the system they've grown up in. The emotions are still there, they can't express them, they're not sure if they should at times. Because we have been almost depersonalized, dehumanized in this culture that had to be created for the elite to bring us to the next step so that we wouldn't protest the grotesque things which are happening and we've accepted now as the new norm. You get sick of hearing about what Hitler did in World War II when the Soviet system killed many more, when other governments in past ages had done the same, often on their own people. And if I had my way, I'd have monuments to every, every massacre, every holocaust brought on from governments in every nation to remind the people that servants are supposed to be exactly that, not your masters, because they always attract the psychopath who ends up in charge with fellow psychopaths and they always go off in the same direction they have no choice and since they're terrified of the bulk of the populace you know the humans the normal humans that have emotions and loves and dreams and sorrows and guilts something that the psychopath doesn't understand then they must try and keep the normal people in check and eventually they must completely control them so for all those listening and the young ones too because I get a lot of mail from young people who are going through tough tough times in a very crazy world that's partly science fiction to them the way it's presented to them they've been conditioned through tremendous scientifically created systems in the school that Bertrand Russell said would literally condition them for life they're battling that and and in response to them coming in to society after school and trying to fit in running after the, the big carrot that's held out in the stick that they're supposed to run for and work for and one day you'll make it son if you just work hard enough you know the big lie and then they start blaming themselves when they can't make it they become depressed some of them fall into drugs the street drugs others have already been put on the various drugs at school So they write to me and tell me about their problems, what they're going through. And I try and answer them all, but there's so many come in from all over. As they try and and hold on to something that's worth holding on to. Because often they get to a stage where they cannot see any future for themselves. The, the generation Xers that are written off their excess 
surplus. They want companionship. They don't know how to keep companionship. Whether it's male or female, they don't know now because they've been taught to have conditioned responses to certain, even common language that's used, and to violent react against certain words and so on, Pavlovian style. Again, deliberate conditioning to make sure there's disruption. And so they are tremendously lonely going through life. And yet there's some hope there too because they also tell me they've got so much out of what I've been telling them they've stopped stopped blaming themselves. That's very important. Stop blaming yourself. You're not a failure. You are a side effect. You're feeling the side effects of a dysfunctional system. Something... And a time, too, which was written about years ago that would happen by those who planned it. You're seeing the side effect, the fallout around you. And knowing that can start giving you strength, because then you start blaming yourself. I saw this happen in Britain throughout the 70s even when I used to come back to Britain from different countries I watched people, I knew people who committed suicide because they lost their jobs you switch on the media and it was happy time on the media same comedies would come on same ads bye 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 everybody's happy yet the opposite was really true at the time only now the suicides are becoming younger and younger so life has been devalued and people have been broken from the generations the generations are separated from each other elderly people who used to pass on wisdom from one generation to the next are irrelevant now they've been pushed out of the picture and that was very important, very, very important, because that was part of the survival mechanism of peoples for thousands of years. The elders were respected because they had wisdom. They could warn, they could guide the young. The young don't have it anymore. They're guided by the mass media, the educational system with Russell's scientific indoctrination and the electronic brainwashing industry that controls their games and the internet and with all the movies they watch with predictive programming the fallout is everywhere And it was predictable because it was planned that way. Many books have been written at university level, written as far back as the 50s and 60s and 70s, on the coming disruptions within society as science took over control and decision making and conditioning. Where with 
more techniques of birth control with the gradual acceptance and psychological indoctrination that the baby, or Latin for fetus, dehumanizing again something which is human, is just like a wart. You can get rid of it and it's no big deal. The next step was to start on the elderly, pop them off into the old exit homes, and it's no big deal. They're of no use. They are the useless eaters. Or as the United Nations say, a good citizen is a good producer-consumer. When you're elderly, you stop producing. Therefore, you're just a consumer. Therefore, etc., etc. We're lucky that some parts of the world they still have family units, although they are under tremendous attack from what's now called the democratic system being pushed by the West and the United Nations where they still take care of each other to the end knowing with confidence that when it's their time to go their relatives and children will take care of them too the natural way getting back to the temporary webmaster I was trying to find something with an appropriate song for the end of this blurb and when you look back on it there's not many songs about your dads because they've been put out the picture so much there's stuff from the from the 18th century and 17th century etc when men had some stature but as they've been devalued and humiliated through comedies etc there's nothing been churned out about them so I looked through all these old songs and couldn't find anything except that when I hung up the guitar as they say years ago to begin doing what I'm doing now and I vowed never to play it again at least till I was doing this something very important I I also chucked out lots of old master tapes from studios of songs that I had got you know published or or had written for others and I thought they were all gone but I found one old cassette taken from a master I hadn't ditched yet and I do these kind of things I throw my past out as you go through phases and you become the new you and you've written books you've 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 written poetry you've written songs you you do different things in your life you you play on stage you you go, you do session work you play solo on stage you you work with groups on stage you do it all and each part's a different part of you in a sense or at least with me and years ago I wrote a few songs and backed someone who wanted uh, an album produced 
and this was uh, done in Philadelphia, a studio in Philadelphia. And so I was digging through all my old stuff to see if there's anything left at all with uh, talking about dads. I found one which was never published. I wrote it uh, in a cafe on the way down because on the way she was going to visit her father who was sick at the time and she says um, could you write something about you know a dad, a father I says well I hadn't really thought about it so I scribbled this one down as you do you, you scribble lots of songs down and throw them in boxes and then you throw them out or whatever and really to keep her happy I says okay I'll, I'll write something and once we went to the studio which was it was about one in the morning in fact the time we arrived there and uh, the technicians were cleaning away stuff and resetting up stuff as they were setting up the mics and the volumes and so on uh, she says why don't we sing that one you just wrote there while they're setting the mics up just to get the volume levels and so on just right it was never meant to be recorded and it's, it's uh, about a dad you see uh, even though I had bits of my dad in there she said well she says your dad will be like everybody's dad in a sense and I knew what she meant and that fathers project uh, this little persona where they uh, they try and preserve what they see as a dignity to themselves a, a separation they don't like to be seen as vulnerable and lots of them um, feel they'd like to have done more for their offspring and they're on the defensive in case that's ever brought up and yet really under the circumstances most of them do the best they can who are we to judge as the Indians say don't judge a man till you've walked a couple of miles in his moccasins so forgive this little ditty song but it's all I could find to do with dads it wasn't meant to be published as I say it was just a, a first run through it's the only time it was ever sung uh, just to get the mic set up and the volume set up but it's a, a dad song and so it's for it's for Laura and it's for pretty well everybody else's dad I guess life and death go together dying's part of living and we all one day will face it from Hamish and myself, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. Well, old man, I've come to talk. We can have a beer or a go for. I'm going away to a distance.
distant land Let me help you with your coat, old man Your defenses are all up before me I can see the life in your eyes Drop the bridge and let me in Ah, just for a little while Your talk is rough, it's just your way Your feelings all away from me But I know you care I know you do Come on, old miner Have a beer or two Your defenses are all up before me I can see the life in your eyes Drop the bridge and let me in I just for a little while You never spoke much when I was a kid the deepest mind you hit You never had much of a life, old man But your slavings, they made me what I am Your defenses are all up before me I can see the life in your eyes Drop the bridge and let me in I just for a little while Thanks for the crack at life, old dad I got the chances you never had I'll hug you now and be on my way I love you, dad, that's all I gotta say I love you, dad, that's all I gotta say